Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the Sanders Pay debate. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your Active Stack Brief podcast. Today, I'm joined by Julia Maxwell, Senior Vice President for Regulatory and Public Affairs at Viaplay Group and member of the EU BOD Coalition, and Alessandro Gropelli, Deputy Director General and Director of Strategy and Communications at Ethno. Hello, both. Good afternoon. Good morning. So, um, we are here to discuss these uh, contentions. Uh, fair play or network fee or sender's pay, however you want to call it. Um, this is uh, for those who, uh, as a reminder, this uh, initiative was introduced for the first time last May by Com- Internal Market Commissioner Breton. And um, since then, quite a lot has changed. Uh, we have seen MEPs, uh, EU governments taking sides, um, the body of uh, European telecom regulators, Barrick, also issued an opinion uh, that was quite uh, negative uh, concerning the idea. And now the Commission published a uh, public consultation on this topic. Um, so, Alessandro, what is your view on the direction the discussion has taken so far? Thank you, Luca, for this. Uh, I think that a public uh, debate is always healthy and especially a debate on this topic because what we are discussing essentially is how do we get to full 5G and full fiber everywhere in uh, Europe. I think during the debate, civil society brought up important points like do not touch the net neutrality principles. We agree. Consumers reminded us that we should not impact the prices and we also agree And actually, we think that fair share will help relieve the phone bills as being the only way in which you fund network upgrades. And also, I find it very interesting uh, that uh, there has been a general realization that we need more investment in 5G and fiber. This said, unfortunately, there has also been some misinformation and astroturfing going around. But as I said, with the consultation coming out, good news, everybody will be able to express their views and we need a healthy debate on this important topic. Yeah, and uh, turning the question I to, to you, um, Julia, and also I have to say that uh, I have to thank you in particular to, for joining the podcast because I have to say it was quite um, challenging to find uh, someone to speak out publicly on the other side of, of the fence. Um, so, uh, what is your view on how the discussion has been developing so far? Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Luca. Uh, it's, it's great to be here today. It's great to be representing the uh, European VOD coalition. Uh, we bring together video on demand and digital entertainment companies that share common values and invest in and distribute audiovisual content in Europe as our core commercial activities. Uh, I'm surprised. I think we've we've heard a lot of people. Um, uh, sharing our, our, our perspective, uh, but I'm very happy to be able to to, to speak uh, to that today. I think uh, before commenting on the specific uh, discussion, I'd like to, to mention a few 
background points. Firstly, you know, the, the proposals uh, surfacing under the umbrella of fair share uh, are not new. They've been discussed and um, discarded in the past. Uh, and at the moment, we haven't seen any facts that warrant a change in policy, although obviously this uh, new consultation will be helpful in that respect. Um, I think we really want to underline that this is not just a discussion about big tech versus big telco. Uh, we have often been told that smaller sort of streaming companies like my own, like Viaplay, we're a European streaming service, uh, are not the target of this proposal. Uh, but I think our concern is that we would all be hit as a consequence. Um, so coming specifically to the, the ongoing discussion, uh, we welcome the fact that the European Commission is going to undertake this public conversation, um, consultation to gather facts and data about this topic. We are, however, concerned that the drafting of the leaked uh, questionnaire that we have seen seems to uh, presume that a problem exists. Uh, and we're worried that uh, this might lead to incorrect assumptions and conclusions and uh, question whether these are perhaps based on some incorrect assumptions and conclusions. Uh, we'd have really liked to see questions that get to the core of whether an investment gap exists um, and approach that, uh, an approach that really demonstrates an understanding of the dynamics and complexity of internet traffic. And uh, we feel that the current questionnaire doesn't uh, give room for this at the moment. And given that a fact-based problem definition has not yet been established, we believe it is important to explore all possible options to address a potential problem rather than focusing in on uh, internet traffic fee or levy, which would be particularly detrimental to video-on-demand services such as our own uh, and the creative industries that rely uh, on us to distribute their content. Yeah, thank you, Julie. Uh, just to clarify that, that those that um, deflected from, from engaging um, in this discussion were not um, on-demand platforms. They were um, uh, uh, tech companies. Um, so, Alessandra, this uh, thing that Julia mentioned it, it is quite key, I think, this idea of who will be affected um, by the Sanders Pay initiative. Uh, in, in the questionnaire, we have seen that uh, the Commission is asking the telcos to propose a threshold uh, to identify lar large traffic generators. Um, do you already have an idea of uh, what this threshold should look like? First of all, I think that the idea of a threshold floated in the questionnaire already responds to Julia's worry of whether the small ones will be captured. And I think that the idea of having a threshold is good and solid. It has clear precedent in uh, recent uh, legislation. I'm thinking of the DSA and of the DMA, where the purpose is to rebalance a bit relationships where you have these tech giants and, and you need to ensure that there is um, a good environment out there also for the uh, smaller guys. Um, but let me use an analogy on the threshold. If, if internet, if we think of internet as an highway, uh, to me and to the telecoms community, the problem clearly does not come from the individual cars. It also does not come from the small and medium sized enterprises with their vans. It also does not come from broadcasters and it does not come from content creators. Where the problem comes from is, is a very small group of big track companies who are concentrated, very well organized, and they move together. And when they move, you have an issue. And this means that there is heavy traffic on the road and that they create a trouble. This is what the threshold can capture and 
if you put it into numbers, uh, how it can be defined. As Etno, at this point in time, we do not have a specific percentage uh, to put on this uh, threshold. We will, of course, prepare uh, to respond now to the public consultation, and there maybe we will be more detailed. And Julia, uh, turning this question to you now, uh, what would be uh, an acceptable threshold for the VOD coalition? I think we, we are concerned about the possibility of identifying a threshold because you know, fo- following the, the, the logic just described, uh, we think it would depend not only on company revenues, uh, but, you know, uh, traffic levels, which are ultimately dependent on member state, time of day, location, uh, and would likely, we would see a very different uh, picture in, in each member state. And besides that, we like to take a step back and acknowledge that internet traffic as a metric is inadvisable as a matter of policy. Such charges will not only create distortions in the online services market, but pose multiple practical and legal challenges. We've seen stakeholders such as Berwick already indicate that traffic does not correlate with profit or raising costs for ISPs. Understanding the dynamics and complexity of internet traffic, the role of different actors, geographies, technical specificities, we believe is key. And I can give you a few examples. Internet traffic does not always correlate to revenues. Many internet-based businesses generate large revenues, but have small, a small traffic footprint. If you look at e-commerce or stock trading companies as examples, they're hugely popular, benefit enormously from telco infrastructure, and vice versa. There are content application providers with relatively small revenues, but do generate sizable traffic. I think I'd like to use an example from my company. Uh, we are, as I said, a European streaming company. We're headquartered in Stockholm. And over the last few years, we've been on an ambitious expansion strategy and we've been launching in uh, new European markets. And last year we launched uh, almost a year ago, in fact, uh, in the Netherlands. And we have uh, amongst our our original European content, our Nordic content, we have some premium sports rights and that includes the Formula One. Now, uh, we've attracted a lot of subscribers uh, by virtue of the fact that um, the Netherlands have an extremely talented young man called Max Verstappen, who's doing extremely well in the Formula One. Now, When uh, we are streaming the Formula One Grand Prix in the Netherlands, say it's a Saturday afternoon, we attract uh, a lot of uh, subscribers and customers logging on. My concern is what sort of picture that would paint dependent on thresholds and metrics, uh, whether that would capture us uh, and and require us to sort of pay pay additional fees, um, despite the fact that we have already paid for the content and that we've paid to optimize delivery and reduce pressure on the infinite, uh, the infrastructure by uh, using CDNs. So that's a sort of example of our, our concerns around using the idea of uh, thresholds uh, and our concerns on the metrics. Uh, I think that's a good point. Uh, Alessandro, would you like to react to that? So business model um, does not correlate to the, the traffic generated does not correlate to the business model and, and, the, and the profits. Uh, also, if you take, you know, uh, Google, for example, um, uh, has a very lucrative advertising business, but Perhaps, I'm not sure of the figures, uh, but I'm sure Netflix um, generates much less uh, revenues based on on the traffic. I have maybe three reactions to this. We know well that uh, data traffic does not correlate to more revenues because telcos tend to have flat fees for their phone bills, internet bills. So 
the more you use, the same you pay. Uh, and this is one of the issues that we have today as telecom sector, that the demand in terms of increasing investment is going up and up and up, uh, but the increase in traffic is not monetized by telecom companies, but it is monetized by those that have data-based business models, uh, like uh, search companies or social networking companies that basically uh, exploit personal data data of European citizens and make money on top of it uh, according to the rules uh, that are existing. The second thing that I would like to say is uh, uh, that uh, Etno will not be uh, arguing for uh, content providers uh, and broadcasters and companies like Viaplay to be captured simply because at an aggregated level, when we speak to our members, the problem does not come from them. So you should not expect us to advocate for them to be captured. Um, Julia, perhaps uh, a follow-up questions to you as well. Um, uh, when it comes to uh, generating traffic, isn't it true that currently there is no incentive for uh, platforms that create traffic to, to minimize data consumption? Well, I can only talk from um, the experience of my company, um, not necessarily on behalf of the coalition, uh, but by sort of default, we all try to minimize pressure on, uh, on, on networks when we are when we're streaming. Uh, content that, that you know, particularly around live sports, and of course, all the the coalition membership is is varied, and uh, some of us have sports, some of us don't. But I I can speak from from our experience there. It, it is is just part of our business practice. Uh, we're not compelled to do so, but we do so as good practice. And I think part of the bigger picture here is that actually we have mutually beneficial arrangements with many, many telcos in many, many markets. My company alone has over 40. And there we have, uh, you know, a sort of mutually beneficial arrangement where we have revenue share models, where we provide our content uh, to, to, to their customers, where they can package uh, our content along with their own uh, to their customers. And uh, I think you know, it derogating from that is going to cause serious, uh, serious concerns. And building up on that, Alessandro, um, uh, we have heard, you have also mentioned that uh, civil society organizations have raised the, the question of how the Sanders Pay um, initiative would impact the net neutrality principle. And, and uh, after all, the whole idea of setting a threshold for large traffic generators is a derogation to the principle because you identify some, let's let, allow me the term, uh, some troublemakers in a sense. So uh, on what basis uh, can you justify this derogation and how can we know that, you know, once, once you start uh, setting this principle of derogating um, to the net neutrality, uh, then it won't happen more and more? Well, first of all, I would like to disagree on the fact that fair share would be a derogation to net neutrality. And there are two main reasons why. The first one is that fair share is not Sanders party pay. Uh, fair share is about a small group of tech giants who use a public, go a public good that is called the internet in an intensive way. While Sanders pay is a general principle that applies to everybody. What we are discussing here, and we just discussed, is uh, 
a naturally uh, uh, involved threshold or a DMA-like uh, mechanism. This means that we are not precisely speaking about the same thing as a sender party base. Also, uh, there are three principles, no throttling, no blocking, no discrimination. These are the three pillars of net neutrality. They are low today, and they have also been confirmed by the European Court of Justice. We, as Ethno, have put it black on white. We are not asking to change these three principles. And I also noticed that the commission in public put back on black on white that they will not alter these uh, three uh, principles. Asking to big tech giants who are in scope to pay for the costs that they generate when they use that public good that is the internet is very different from prioritizing traffic or discriminating it. This is why uh, I think uh, the net neutrality argument is not uh, uh, as valid as some uh, claim. Uh, turning to you, uh, Julia, the Commission questionnaire put forward uh, two, propo- two, two possible options. Uh, one is a digital fund, uh, which uh, follows somewhat of the American example. And one is a direct contribution that might have some strings attached. Um, what would be um, a feasible option for content providers? Well, before talking about solutions, I think the first question should be to assess what exactly the problem or market failure is and where the funding would go. In Germany, RECO indicates that over 50 billion euros of private funding is available for fiber, and we see private equity investors responding to meet that demand. In France, the fiber plan is expected to connect 100% of homes by 2025 and require 10 billion in public and municipal funding. In the 300 billion figure quoted by Etno, we have a far greater figure than what we've seen in the data that comes up from the public sector and industry. It really makes the point that there is much more study and analysis needed uh, around yet another part of the equation. Of course, we support the goal of bridging the digital divide, having access to sufficiently fast and unconstrained internet access service for all is a public interest objective comparable to the provision of basic needs such as roads, electricity, safety and education. The ability to connect all citizens should be a priority policy goal for any country. Broadband connections are essential, but equally broadband investments are long term investments and the dynamics of internet usage is constantly changing. Targeting a specific subset of internet services for fund contributions, we don't think is a stable source of revenue and risks creating market distortions for online services for all the reasons I've mentioned above. Uh, With regards to your reference to the uh, US example, uh, we don't believe you can equate the US debate to the discussion in Europe because the US debate is about universal service and last mile connectivity, whose costs depend on the number of lines and not travel traffic levels. So we don't see how a solution like the one currently being discussed in the US would solve uh, what the telcos see as the issue here in, in Europe. Uh, There is a difference between uh, public policy objectives of providing universal connectivity to current generation connectivity technologies, as per the current uh, USO, universal service obligation, and ensuring the rollout of future connectivity technologies to uneconomic areas. The funding principles, though, are the same. The least distortive way to ensure funding is through general taxation and not a tax based on traffic usage of certain large content providers to be paid directly uh, to, to a handful of companies. So all in all, 
we've yet to see a viable alternative to us, bearing in mind that we also don't see exactly the issue we are trying to solve here. I would like to make a comment on the investment gap, uh, just to say that actually the investment gap calculated by the European Commission is the whole premise to the European Digital Decade targets. So I'm happy to hear that it's also a VOD coalition objective to improve investment in that area. I want also to agree on the fact that uh, the universal service option that the United States are considering as uh, their way to go about fair contribution is not necessarily useful in Europe because Europe has a problem of private investment, which is 50 to 80 percent less than the one that they have in the US. We don't have a problem of public investment. Julia mentioned it. There are many funds are there out there, especially after the recovery fund uh, that we received after the pandemic in various member states. Uh, moving on, Alessandro, now to um, uh, what we can actually expect from the Commission at this stage, because there isn't obviously the time to uh, for a legislative proposal before the end of, of this mandate. Uh, at the same time, we heard uh, Breton, who's basically the champion of, of this initiative, uh, pushing for a relaxation of EU merger policies. Um, so basically to let uh, telecom companies consolidate. We are waiting to hear um, the commission uh, response on the uh, orange mass mobile case, which would be quite significant in terms of, of um, market consolidation for the sector. So. I have the impression that on the next commission desk, uh, the, they will have two options, um, uh, introducing these uh, limited centers pay uh, uh, principle or letting telecom companies uh, merge. So which of the two would actually be best for the sector? Thank you, Luca. Well, first of all, I think that there is still a lot that the European Commission can do in the next one year. And there is a big political problem and a real life problem here. According to Analysis Mason, if we keep on uh, investing at the current pace, in 2030, there will be 45 million Europeans that do not have 5G and do not have a gigabit uh, network. So this is a problem and something should still be done now. We cannot wait uh, uh, five years to do it. Um, this said, today, telecom operators can rely mainly on one revenue stream uh, uh, for their investment needs. And it is the internet bills. And this is not enough any longer. So I think we need a serious discussion with results on the fair share. And we also need a serious discussion on the market structure in Europe, um, whether we discuss in-market consolidation or cross-border consolidation. But I also saw in recent statements by Vestager and by Breton that there is an acknowledgement that there is a problem of scale in Europe and of the investment capacity uh, of the sector that goes with that scale. So we need to act and we need to fix things and we need to do it as soon as possible. We cannot afford being 10 years behind the South Korea or the United States. I'm turning this question to you now, Julia. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, 
reaching these uh, connectivity targets uh, is also in the interest of content providers. So what is, in your view, the best um, solution to, to reach these targets? Well, I think just to talk about whether market sort of consolidation is is the, an acceptable option or not for for content providers, I think it's not our place to to deliberate on on telco competition issues. Uh, from our industry's perspective, the VOD space is extremely competitive, and competition is a source of innovation and investment. We invest in the best services and content, uh, and we collaborate as well as compete with each other for the benefit of the consumer. What I will say is that our focus is investing in content, which helps drive consumer demand for internet service provision products, and our ability to continue that investment will be curtailed if fees, network fees are introduced, which ultimately will have an effect on the broader market conditions. That being said, to the best of our knowledge, uh, the European Commission has never forbidden cross-country consolidation as long as it respects competition principles and is appropriately assessed on a case-by-case basis. Uh, so to wrap up, uh, I'll give you uh, each one minute to summarize your argument in in favor or against um, the Commission initiative. Alessandro, would you like to start? Thank you, Luca. I think this is about bringing 5G and fiber to all of the 450 million European citizens. And uh, I agree with what was said. It's not a big tech versus European telcos debate. If you represent a company, if you represent a group of citizens, if you represent a public interest, uh, then you need probably resilient broadband networks for your competitiveness. And it means that this debate is important also to you. The consultation is coming up. It's a great opportunity to understand how do we make this happen in the right way and that we protect the European interests in this. My pledge is not to fall into the trap of some big tech lobbies who do not even want to discuss this. So it is in the European interest to have this discussion. Let's have it and let's find the best way to make it happen. One minute to you, Julia. From the perspective of the VOD coalition, a network traffic tax is a bad idea that would disproportionately harm the European audiovisual sector. This idea is a tax on consumer behavior that discriminates against online video and high quality content. If content companies have to pay additional fees to incumbent telcos on top of what we already invest in content production and delivery, we will simply have less to invest in making great new European content. The debate is wrongly being portrayed as a fight between big tech and big telco with little thought to the collateral damage such measures will have on content producers and ultimately consumer choice and cost. Alessandro Gropelli is Deputy Director General and Director of Strategy and Communications at Ethno. Julia Maxwell is Senior Vice President for Regulatory and Public Affairs at Viaplay Group and a member of the EU VOD Coalition. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Avi Chiori. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.